Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Matt Schatz. Matt, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm excited to have you here on the show, Matt. Matt, you're the Chief Revenue Officer at Trulio. Can you tell us about uh, your your current role and uh, your company? Yeah, yeah. So Trulio, we are a digital identity verification platform. Uh, we operate the largest, most extensive network uh, for identity verification data providers. Basically, we're able to verify over 5 billion individuals around the globe and over 300 million companies. That You guys are tackling a huge problem. I mean, anyone that's working in financial services, identity verification is such a painful problem because you do have to go and typically try to stitch together some kind of solution. You guys are solving that problem. Exactly. You know, a lot of our, our, our prospects, you know, they're doing manual processes, trying to go and manually verify people. Um, when they're trying to onboard people around the globe, trying to go and manage different contracts, trying to go and find the data, where can they go and find it? Um, and for us, it's a, it's a one simple, you know, one-stop shop um, where we're able to go and help our, our, our customers um, very quickly um, verify people so that they can complete the onboarding process very quickly, don't have that drop off. And, and also what I really love, you know, part of the mission of our company is financial inclusion. And the fact that we're able to, to reach 5 billion people, um, when you think about recent immigrants or emerging economies, something I'm really proud of, uh, the, the global reach that we have and how that allows people to participate in the digital economy. Oh yeah, and you're allowing companies that have good solutions to go into those markets and help uh, improve their economies and provide services otherwise they couldn't get because of this inability to validate identity. You got it. Absolutely. Might have to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have you here on the show. Um, Matt, what are the three things looking back over your career that have really contributed to your success? Um, yeah, I'd say you know, one thing that I'm proud of is I always try to be really generous with my time. Um, it's not about just the, the deal. It's not about, um, you know, the customer's got a number or the salesperson, you know, has got a number on top of their head. Um, you know, trying to be, trying to be really generous. That's, that's something that, uh, you know, I was taught at an early age and, and something I, I carried forward. Um, another one is I'm passionate about what I do. I've, I've really tried to go and find my passion. Um, uh, and, you know, ever since I've done that at an early age at Rackspace and, and got really passionate about the types of companies that I work for, and there's a very specific type of company that I want to work for, um, you, know, you know, life's really short. You know, I want to be able to go and have a good time, and I want to, I want to feel good about what I'm doing. And, and, and when I do that, I, I typically have done pretty well. Um, and so that passion is, is really important. Um, and then I would say that the other thing, you know, outside of that um, is there's a real science behind sales and really understanding inputs to be able to go and drive growth. It's not necessarily about just the number achieved, but it's about how you go and do it. And that's been a long time uh, process for me to go and really understand the underlying inputs that drive repeatable growth. Um, and that's something that I've, I've really focused on as well. So kind of a broad range of things across the board. Yeah, I, I can feel your passion just talking. I can just, I get that from you. That's terrific. Um, how'd you get your start in sales? Um, I was an eighth grade social studies teacher when I left uh, university. And 
Uh, I had a couple of buddies in San Antonio that started this company called Scimitar Networks. Uh, early, early, early stage, just a couple of them. And one of the founders, uh, Pat Condon, reached out to me and said, hey, we'd really love for you to go and join this company. We're about to change the name. We're going to call it Rackspace. Um, and, uh, and so I said, well, well Pat, what would I do for you? I'm a teacher. He said, well, of course you do sales. And I, I got to admit, I was a little offended. You know, I got my master's degree in education and I'm you know, going to be a dirty salesperson. And Remember, you know, famously, Pat said, listen, you're selling these kids on why they need to go and learn social studies. You already know how to go and sell. So why don't you go and come over and work with some good friends and, and we'll build something great and, and, and the rest is history. Oh, that's amazing. That That is really, really cool. And everybody has heard the name Rackspace before. So that that's tremendous. Um, looking back to those early days in sales, what do you wish you had been taught that would have made your life easier? Um, you know, going back to those inputs, you know, it's not necessarily about the output, you know, it's about the input. Um, and as I mentioned, like, I was probably a little embarrassed when I went into sales, you know, I kind of had that, you know, misconception of what sales is, and it's an honorable profession, um, and, and done right, you bring a lot of value. And I don't think that I really realized that early on, um, about what, you know, how important of a role, uh, that is. Um, and, you know, the, the, the other one I would also kind of go back to and, and, and say is, is that, you know, when you're. When, when, when you're generous with your time, when you help your, your prospects, regardless of if you've got a solution or not for them, that just comes back to you tenfold. Um, and so those are probably you know, a few of those things that uh, I've, I've learned along the way that I wish I went in there uh, day one understanding. That's great. Um, what role did mentorship have in your advancement through your sales career? Yeah, uh, it was huge. Um, being able to to have the, the freedom um, to have honest and transparent conversations uh, with with mentors was was absolutely critical uh, for me early on. It was Glenn Rhinus, uh, who was the SVP of Sales at Rackspace, who's like a father figure to me. Um, and being able to go and trust him um, and take his advice, even when I didn't agree with it, you know, but he's a heck of a lot smarter than I'll ever be. Um, be able to go and listen to to him. Um, it was it was really important, especially when we were so young and really inexperienced um, and trying to go and grow that. Um, and it was okay not to know everything. And that was that was really important. There's a good friend of mine from my Rackspace days named Lorenzo Gomez, who wrote an incredible book called The Slauncher Diaries. And you know, part of what he writes about is the importance of having your own board of directors, the own people that you're accountable to that you can go and have those conversations with. And I and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um What's your best advice for someone who's thinking about a sales career? Um, you know, one, you know, it is it is honorable. It is also really, really, really hard. I think sometimes you know this kind of conception of like, oh, I'm going to go play a bunch of golf and you know jazz hands certain things and try to go and you know almost swindle customers. Like that's not sales. Um, um, sales, you're, you're providing a really valuable service. It is really hard, and it's a lot more than just fast talking, I understand the product, you know, that type of thing. There's a real art form to it. And it's hard. And it takes years and years and years to even begin to master it. And, and, and you'll never fully master it. Yeah. Yeah. What think back again over those years as in sales, what's your craziest sales story you can share with us? I would say early on at Rackspace, there's just a couple of us. And so there was no training. And, and my training literally existed of a morning, uh, listening to the other sales rep. And you couldn't conference in, so I could only hear one side of the conversation. Um, and so I, I remember it was George Stumberg, and I was listening to him. And after a couple of calls, they say, wow, okay, Matt, you sound like you're ready. And I was not ready. I didn't understand what I didn't understand anything. 
So the first call that I get, um, uh, first question I get was, uh, we'd like to know if you offered firewalls. And this is back in early 2000, and Rackspace was yet to offer firewalls. And I had no idea what a firewall was. But I remember I did get a tour of the data center, and they really focused on this whole fire suppression system that we had in their data center. And so rather than ask about what he meant, rather than which I should have, I wanted to go and show this person I was super knowledgeable. And so I remember putting the person on hold, and I look over to George and said, hey, George, we offer firewalls? And George said, no, we don't offer firewalls. And I got back on the phone. I said, sir, I just want you to know we don't offer firewalls, but the likelihood that our data center catches on fire is absolutely minimum. You don't need a firewall here. We got this amazing you know, you know, fire suppression system. And the guy said, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, absolutely, I'm serious. It's not going to catch on fire. <laughs> not at all. We're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me about your transition into sales leadership. What drove you down that path? Um, you know, I would like to think that I was acting in that role before I had it. Um, and, um, and, you know, I, I think that I probably have a little bit of revisionist history, but I, I felt like I was um, acting in a leadership capacity. And, and, and one of the things that, you know, my mentor, uh, Glenn, you know, always impressed upon all of us, and that is that leadership is not a title. Leadership is a way of behavior. Leadership is a choice that you make every day when you walk through those doors. Um, and so I tried to act as a leader, um, trying to go on and, and help others, trying to go on and put the company's needs and the customer's needs, you know, before myself. Um, and I think those types of attributes tended to have a lot of people asking me a lot of questions about how I was doing certain things. And, and I got this kind of natural involvement into an official manager title. Yeah. Was that a hard transition for you to make? Yeah, I think that there's. Absolutely. I think one of the lessons I learned and for, 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 for new sales managers, especially if you come up through the ranks as an individual contributor and then moved over, um, is you don't have to have all the answers. And, and what I realized early on is people would come to me and say, Matt, hey, hey, what do I do with this situation? I'm sure you've run into it a hundred times before. And I'd be like, yep, you got it. Say this, do this, send this in the email, blah, blah, blah. And they come back 20 minutes later and they go, Matt, it worked. Great. And, you know, and I'd go home and pat myself on the back. Isn't Rackspace lucky to have me? I'm a great manager. We wouldn't have gotten that deal. All of a sudden, the next day, that person got three other questions. And then another sales rep got another question. And I keep on telling them the right answers. And then the line gets longer and longer of all these people that have questions. And what I realized, I was doing a real disservice to them. Um, and to, you know, people got the answers. You might have to go and draw it out of them. But, you know, learning the ability to, to not have to have all the answers, even if you know the right thing to go and do, but drawing it out of them. Hey, what do you think we should do? And they tell you a stupid answer. You say, well, that's an interesting idea. How, you know, what's another way we might be able to go and approach it? And eventually they'll come to that right answer. And, and you know, and you don't take the ownership. You don't say, yes, do that exact you know, thing. Because if it doesn't work out, they're going to come back and say, well, Matt, you told me to do this and it didn't work out. Um, say, hey, why don't you go ahead and try that report back and let me know how it, it, it does. All of a sudden that line for questions gets a lot shorter and shorter. And people have got a lot of confidence, you know, in themselves and you don't have to go to you nearly as much for those kind of more mundane types of things. And so I think as a, as a young leader, I wanted to have all the answers. I wanted to tell people what to do. I wanted to be right. Um, and what I realized was that was not being a good manager. It was about drawing the ideas out of my people that made me a much better manager. Oh, I can relate to that as a, listening to you talk. I, I, I did the exact same thing and it took me a while to realize I had created a giant bottleneck around myself and the productivity of my team was going way down because they were constantly coming to me. And, and uh, yeah, so I can, that's a great lesson. Um, for 
you know, looking back again, when you made that transition, what advice would you give to someone who's considering making that same transition? I think you know, one of the things I hear a lot, Chris, is um, from individual contributors who want to go into management is, is Matt, I'm a great mentor. Um, and because I'm a great mentor, I think I'm going to be a great manager. And and look, that's a that's a step in the right direction. Uh, but being a great manager is a lot more than just simply being a great mentor. And so I think that sometimes that is a disconnect. Um, you know, what I'm looking for you know, are um, one is accuracy. You know, who who are my folks that are that are delivering an accurate forecast? That are delivering an accurate commit? That have repeatable processes that we can go and really teach. Um, the ones that aren't getting surprised, uh, you, know, you know, you get the, you get the, the rep that says, uh, yeah, I can't believe that the, the decision makers out of the office, you know, my champion said it was going to get signed and then the, uh, and it's the middle of August and they didn't ask, you know, who's on vacation, those types of things. So the lack of surprises, the consistency, the accuracy, as well as the mentorship as well are some of those certain things. But, you know, you talk to somebody that runs a terrible CRM, you know, none of the stages are correct, um, you know, completely inaccurate, you know, both can be good, you know, or, you know, or below, uh, but especially the ones that, you know, can't hit a forecast. Maybe they're over, over, over exceeding, but they have no idea why, um, you know, you can't trust a CRM in terms of their data. Um, and then they say, but Matt, I'm a really good mentor. You know, and I just started to go and think about that, that person in charge of eight other individuals. And now I got to multiply that problem by eight. You know, it's, it's a lot more than that. So it's about running, you know, a really tight business on your own that is repeatable as well as being that great mentor that are the things that you know, so you got to really focus on. Thinking back when you when you came into Trulio in your current role, what were the first things you did? Oh, you know, thinking back over those first ninety days, what did that look like? How did you structure those first ninety days? Um, you know, one is I really wanted to go in and get to know people as individuals. Like, and, and it's a lot easier to do when you're face to face versus in the times that we're at. Uh, but that was something that was that was really important. You know, really really understanding what motivates my people, uh, what they really go and get excited about. You know, finding their why. You know, kind of you know, borrowing from Simon Sinek right there. Uh, but that's super important. And then the next one to me that I fully focused on and continue to focus on is building the model. Um, although Trulio's uh, growth has been exceptional. They didn't really have that repeatable model. You know, how many opportunities should each SDR be producing? How many opportunities should each you know, AE be producing? What is the conversion rate? What's the average uh, sales cycle? How much time does it actually take to be able to go and take a deal from discovery to close one and really start to go and build that model so you can go and get that model for growth and you start really measuring the inputs rather than did we hit our number or not? And that to me is a lot about unlocking the growth potential and having that model that everybody can go in and, and buy into. So that was, you know, first 90 days, it was really a lot about establishing what that model looked like. What are the things you want to avoid in those first 90 days in a new leadership role? Um, this comes from uh, my previous boss, CEO at, at WP Engine, Heather Bruner, but it's have a seek to understand mentality. It's very easy to walk in Say, well, why are you doing it this way? Or how come, you know, you know and all this and, and start making a lot of judgments before you actually have all the information. And so having that understanding that like whatever the, the organization's done, there's a reason why they've done it. Maybe it's not the best reason. Maybe it served them a purpose, you know, a while ago. Maybe it's no longer serving the purpose and so forth. But, but having that seek to understand mentality rather than coming in and, and trying to go and make a ton of change early on when you don't have all the facts and you don't have all the data um, is, 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 is a big thing. And then the other one is you kind of going back to bring the ideas out of all the people that you're working with. You don't have to go and come in and, and, and have all the ideas. Bring, you know, you know get people's input and, and get people buying in 
And then the other thing I think is also really important is create that vision. You know, what are you trying to go and accomplish and making sure that people really understand the overall vision that you're trying to go and create? How do you create alignment towards the company's strategic goals among your sales team? Yeah, making sure, well, one is, is making sure that I understand the strategic goals, you know, first off, and that was part of the, you know, early on is working with our CEO and, and the CFO and COO, really understanding why are we trying to go and do these certain things? And, you know, it starts with me making sure that I've got a really great understanding. And then it's spending a lot of time about how every individual plays into those strategic goals and how important their roles are and what are they doing to go and, um, you know, and, and get there. Um, um, you know, and, and making sure that every motion that we've got is for those particular strategic goals. Like it, it's it's super important, but, you know, especially even like you know, our junior SDRs or so forth, like, you know, they're, they're coming in as a tough job and, and you hear a lot of no's, you know, over and over and over. Um, yeah. And, and making sure that they understand like the, the how important, you know, what they're doing is and, and that alignment. That's, that, that's super important. Never assume that people understand um, or, or people get it really we're all we're all CROs, chief repetition officers. You got to repeat, repeat, repeat. How do you create rapport? How did you go about creating rapport with the other members of the executive team at Trulio? I, you know, I, I'm a people person. I want to get to know people, um, and that was super important to me. Um, yeah, you know, there's a there's a term that I really don't like, um, and the term is headcount. Uh, to me, I think about it as people count. That we're not just hiring above the net we're entirely we're, we're hiring the entire person um and so getting to know you know you know getting to know the people um and being able to go and find something to be able to go and relate to um and also understanding our, our executive team is relatively new um and and really understanding what drove them to the company um and what they see as the opportunity what gets them excited and there was a lot of alignment there um but i think it's you know especially like over zoom it's really easy just to like jump in meetings and get right to the point that you would never do like in face-to-face -face. you know you get into um you know a conference room you know back when we used to be able to go and do that and there's always a little bit of time to kind of get to know each other and so forth and you got to really structure your time on these Zoom calls to allow for a little bit of that, but it's also got to be natural, um, you know, and, and it can't be forced. Um, but as I say, I, I, you know, I want to work with people that I love and trust. Um, I don't need to work with the smartest people in the world, although I do work with some very smart people, but I want to work with people that I love and trust. And, 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 and part of that also is that trust is, you know, and, and love is it's getting to know them and then also being accountable and doing what you say so that people can trust you. Um, that's, that, that's super important. I'm a big believer that a leader is only as good as his team. What's your strategy for building your team? Yeah, I, I'm really lucky. It's really, I, I, I inherited um, an amazing team, uh, but you're absolutely right. You're only as good as your, your, your team. So one is, is that you've got to have an incredibly high bar when you're bringing people onto your team. Um, you know, it's like, your general patent on the way in and maybe Mother Teresa on the way out, but you've got to have an incredibly high bar. And one of the first things that we changed um, is, is that, you know, we, we really made our, our, our hiring process really intense. Um, and, you know, from, you know, the number of people that people talk to, um, uh, the presentations that need to be done beforehand, we want to people, make people feel like they really earned it when they, when they come in. That's something that's super important. Uh, another one is being really transparent. Um, what are the real issues in the company? Making sure that, you know, I think about it. I don't want to see that the, the whites of somebody's eyes on their first day. Like, oh, I didn't realize that you didn't have this, or I didn't realize that these processes weren't in place um, is, is super important. And then the other one is spending a lot of time about being very transparent and direct with 
where you see people um, in your own organization growing within that organization um, and being very direct in terms of what they need to accomplish to be able to go and get there. Um, and I think, you know, part of the, the failures of my part early on in my career is that I wasn't direct with people. You know, I kind of, I, I think about where, where I wanted to go, but I didn't want to beat them down and I didn't want to hurt their morale. And so I wasn't nearly as direct as I should have been. Um, and that's not fair to people. Um, and I, I fundamentally believe, you know, you hear the old adage, people join because of a company and, and leave because of their manager. Um, and, and, and part of that, you know, is, is that if, if people are growing and people are learning in their career and they're getting better, they're going to stay and they're going to give everything that you got. Um, but in order for people to go and do that, they need to know from you where you currently see them and where they need to be able to go and get to and make sure that nobody's guessing about that. Right. Um, what do you look for in your team where it's, you, you see, hey, it's time for you to consider uh, a sales leadership role? Well, I'm looking for those people, you know, uh, as I say, going back to like, who's generous with their time, who's doing that, 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 that mentorship, but also who's, right, who's running that really tight business. Um, and then what I'm really interested in is the why. You know, some people just think it's the natural progression. And as we all know, you know, your top salespeople don't necessarily, you know, make your, you know, your, your top managers. Um, and, and that can be, you know, really, you know, be devastating for people when they get out of a, a role and they just weren't prepared for it. Um, I'm going to give them a lot of opportunities also to go and make sure that they're ready. I don't need to run every forecast meeting. I can have these people go and run the forecast meeting, being able to go and get their insights. Uh, I love taking, you know, company challenges and issues that we're facing and, and taking through those, you know, high potential individuals and say, hey, here's one of the issues that we're dealing with. How would you, you know, be able to go and, and tackle this and, and try to go and, and show them a little bit about what, it, you know, what's like on the, uh, you know, on the other side of the glass and, and give them some experience and, and open them that up, uh, to, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and engaging with them uh, in that way. Thinking back over the, your entire career, can you tell me about the attributes of the most successful person you ever hired? What made um, them so successful? There's, you know, like from, you know, some people that um, it doesn't matter what the quota is, they're just going to hit it. Like, and I got like, and that, that achiever piece, like I have always loved, like that, 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 uh, and I, yeah, I had breakfast the other morning with one of these people and I was laughing about when we used to work together. I said, I should have tripled your quota. You would have still hit it. Like you would have figured out a way to be able to go and 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 do it. Um, they also, you know, they they always do what's right for the customer. Like they never try to go and get one over on the customer. They always do what's right. And that means I mean selling them less than what they thought, maybe walking away from the deal when it just doesn't feel right. Um, that's been you know fantastic. And then the other thing is. They, they put the customer and then the company first. Like they, they, you know, you never hear this like, well, you know, Matt, I, you know, I know that the company needs this deal or I know it's the right thing to do, but I want to hold on to it because I'm going to get paid more if I go and, you know, close it next quarter. You know, those types of conversations, you just, you never, you never hear, you can trust them. You don't have to go and look over the shoulder. Um, and, you know, they're, they're honorable people. They have high moral character. You're proud to, to have your brand associated with them. Those are, those are the, you know, I would say that in, in general, those attributes and, the other thing too is, is that in general, these people never have to tell you how smart they are. You, you realize how smart they are by the quality of the questions that they ask. And those are the ones that you're really blown away from. Yeah. Do you have personal success habits, things you do every day? Um, you know, one of the things for me is I start off every day and I, and I, and I write down the, the four or five or 10 things or sometimes 20 things I need to go and accomplish that day. And I literally tick the box every day that, you know, it gets so 
crazy during the day, as we all know that, that if I don't do that, things get away from me. And then I go home and I feel like I haven't accomplished something, um, which is, uh, um, which is, which is super important. Um, another one is I try to go and carve off time for different individual contributors. I don't talk to on a, on a regular basis. And I just ping them and just see how they're doing. Um, and that always, that makes me feel, you know, really good. I, uh, this sounds a little bit cheesy, but I try to go and practice one random act of kindness every single day, uh, which is super important. Um, and then the other one um, is that, you know, I make sure twice a day, um, uh, you, know, at least, you know, once a day in the morning to my girls, go and tell them how much I love them. Um, and then I try to go and text my wife, call my wife, tell her how much I love her um, and that uh, and, and how important they are in my life uh, for them to allow me what I do and the support that they, that they give me because we're all in this together. Um, and, and that part is super important to me. That's awesome. Rejection or failure is always a big part of being sales. It's just goes hand in hand with success. Um, do you remember the deal that you've lost that hurt the most? Um, yeah, I do. Like I, I absolutely, it was a deal when I was working at the Bizarre Voice uh, years ago and running the Australian team, we had a really big deal and we lost it. We screwed it up. Um, you know, quite frankly, we, we messed up. And, um, yeah, that one still hurts. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Chris, I didn't really want to think about this today. I'm, Friday <laughs> afternoon, I'm in a good mood. I bring me down. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, part of, we should have won the deal and we screwed it up. Um, and I think that, you know, I think back about the time we, we try to go and make all the excuses about what was outside of our control um, so that we didn't have to go and really own it. Um, and, and, that was our first point. That probably got us even more angry because I think quite that, frankly, deep down, we all knew that we screwed it up um, and it was our own, it was our, it was, we didn't get out of our own way, um, really. Um, and so I think that, you know, it took me a long time, you know, a year or two to like kind of really digest it, like, you know, and try to go and, and look at it um, from outside, you know, outside the emotion of it um, and so forth. But um, I learned a lot from, I kind of learned more about from that one deal than any of the other deals that we actually won because uh, it did sting. And I had to, I had to grow up a little bit and, and, and put my, you know, my big person pants on and, and, and try to be able to go and, and learn. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of times people get sensitive. Uh, you got to have some thick skin. You can't take things personally. Um, and, and the best folks out there are going to go and look back and say, okay, hindsight being 2020, what could I have done differently? And what I have seen from 99.99% of the opportunities that I've either personally lost or one of the members of my team lost, when you can be objective, there's a learning uh, time there. Um, and what scares me too is when I hear reps say, Matt, I did absolutely everything right, and everything perfect. And it was a well-qualified op, but normally it wasn't, it wasn't even a well-qualified op. That's why they lost. And there was nothing that I would have done differently. And like that happens so rare that, that that really scares me. But man, I love it when a rep says, "Now nah, I screwed the pooch on this one." You know, you know, I should never even been pursuing this. I should have disqualified this in the first ten minutes, or I should have done this better. Like, I love those folks because that 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 willingness to go and be better today than we were yesterday drives so much success. And and, and those are the types of sales reps and sales leaders that I love working with. Let's transition the topic a little bit. CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? Love it. Absolutely love it. Early on in my career, I told you I absolutely hated it. I didn't get it. Uh, but but now I, th that's my mission control. So I go every morning to be able to um, understand where we're going. It, it helps me with the inputs. It helps me with forecasting. It helps me to think about future quarters. It helps me to understand where I need help from product, from marketing. Without that, I would be completely and totally lost. 
uh, if I if I didn't have that. Why is forecasting so hard for so many companies when they have CRM? Um, yeah, I I think that they still allow a lot of um, you know in my experience, you know, I've seen a lot of junior reps um, that they don't have a lot of science behind forecasting. It's just kind of like, huh, I wonder what you know. I, I think it's going to go do this. You're going to get a lot of the kick the can. Well, if it's not this month, I'll kick it over to, to you know to next month or so forth. Um, so they don't have really a good sales methodology that people need to consistently follow and understand the real stages in terms of where they are. So they go more on gut feel. They get the happy years. You know, this this prospect they really like me, um, and, and so I think that this one's going to go. So there's a there's a level of inaccuracy in terms of the stages that the the happy years that people go and get rather than a real um, meticulous methodology that people need to be able to go and follow. What's been your biggest struggle when it comes to CRM technology and its role in supporting the sales process? Um, yeah, I would say at, at, at one point it was adoption, uh, but we, but you know, you can eliminate that by saying, you know, your CRM is a law. Yeah, if it's not in the CRM, it does not exist. So when it comes to rules of engagement, when it does, you know, first time that, you know, you know somebody, you know, maybe loses a deal for, from an ROE issue or something like that happens and you go right and they, they want to bring up an email or they want to you know, show you a you know, phone call. You're like, no, I'm going right to the CRM. You kind of eliminate those issues. Um, and so I think that needs to be the, the, the letter of the law. I think other times, um, you know, it's, it's making sure that you've got a CRM that can be flexible. Your, your sales process, your, your focus and all those things are going to change and your CRM needs to be able to go and adapt um, so, uh, uh, to that. You know, sometimes I've seen you know administrators of CRMs that it's kind of like their baby and they don't think they'll make any more changes and so forth. So you gotta you gotta constantly reevaluate how you're utilizing your CRM and, and better ways to be able to go and do it. It's not a set it and forget it. And I think too often it, it becomes a set it and forget it um, type of mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever experienced a CRM implementation that failed or fell short of expectations? It it typically in, in, in my previous job I actually uh, uh, we sold a CRM for the architect engineering and construction and so we saw a lot of failed implementations there and it was um, the the two reasons were adoption and once again they, it wasn't going to be the letter of the law or another priority came up um, and it's very hard and once again I'm passionate about CRMs as well it's very hard for me to go and think about something that is that has greater importance than a great CRM implementation. And so I think that as an organization, you got to be aligned that this is incredibly important. This is like one of the most important systems that you're going to be able to go and put into place. Um, and so you got to have that um, uh, understanding from the top down, you know, that the CEO is going to go and eat his or her hand you know, on the desk and say, we will get this implemented. Um, and that's super important. And then, then it becomes a letter of the law after that. When you talk to your sales team about CRM, and you mentioned, you know, what's your why before? What's your why when it comes to CRM? From an individual sales rep, man, it can go and get them better. Like it's not about like you know, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take what they put in, but it's not about them trying to go and show me or other sales leaders or you know the CFO how we're doing. You know, it's about them having this amazing understanding about their business um, and giving them tremendous insight. You know, and and so a lot of times, you know, for, for my CRM administrators, it's about looking into the CRM and what is the data that we can help enable our sales team uh, to be able to go and utilize. And when you get that, you know, flow of information where it's not just one way, but you put in accurate data, I can give you a really amazing insight back. Like, you know, things like, 
hey, what's your average sales cycle? You know, okay, for all the different people and you can start comparing why does this person have this average sales cycle versus this one and is the shorter sales cycle actually better? And, you know, for your average sales cycle, blah, blah, blah. But then maybe it's like your drop-off rate. You got like a 40% close rate until you hit, you know, whatever the number is. You have an average sales cycle of 70 days, but in 130 days, you're, you know, your, your close rate goes down to 5% or 2% or, you know, something like that. And being able to go and get that knowledge. So when they're forecasting a deal that's 220 days out, like they got to have a much better idea. You know, every deal, I think a lot of reps, you know, forget this. And every deal has an expiration date. Every deal is like a carton of milk. Um, and being able to go and have that type of data. Um, I love, you know, conversion rates. You know, I, I got, um, you know, you know, you know uh, maybe inbound opportunities, outbound opportunities. Who's doing great on a particular way? Let's get them to do some training about why they're doing that because we were able to go and get that in the sales, into the, uh, into the sales team to uh, for them to go and get to the, yeah, that level of knowledge. So it's not just, you need to do this because it's an exercise in helping me or the CFO or the CEO or the board. That's, you know, that's nice. You know, of course, I like it. But the real purpose is how am I going to make you smarter and allow you to go and close more deals? I mean, you can go and get that and people are generally would use it a whole lot more. Oh, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, that you, you nailed it, that at, fundamentally, if CRM is not enabling your sales team, you failed. It's a failed implementation and nothing else matters. Um, so, no, that's awesome. Um, what can those that are in the technology leadership roles do better to support the sales team? Um, yeah, this is there's a lot of ways to be able to go, um, you know, with this. One, you know, that's interesting. I was just talking to uh, uh, a team that I'm going to be hiring as consultants, and that is that there is a lot of great technology that you can go and invest in um, uh, for your sales team to go and make them more efficient and be able to go and get better. But at the end of it, you know, you're not going to automate that human conversation. And I think that, you know, I see a lot of folks that they, they want to go and invest in all these million great technologies. Um, but, you know, get on the phone and have a conversation. There's nothing that's going to be able to go and replace that. And so, you know, part of it is, you know, enable, you know, you know invest in great technology you know, out there. And, and say there's a lot of great ones. But don't try to go and automate the role. You're never going to be able to go and 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 do that. And, and especially in you know, like I'm going to sound really old and and, and, and snarly, but you know, like back in my day, you know, you, you picked up the phone and you made calls. Um, and 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 I think you still need to be able to go and do that. And I consistently see much higher conversion rates when you actually get people on the phone. Now, technology to enable who to go and call, some technology to enable some of the email communication, um, that type of thing. This reinforcement to make people make sure <laughs> people. Don't get scared of actually just getting on the call and and dialing and getting you know getting getting in touch with people. That, that's that's super important. And then the other thing that I would say, and this is my own personal opinion, but I've always wanted to invest in technology when we've tried it, and that technology can accelerate whatever we're trying to go and do. I've never been a fan of saying we haven't seen the success, but we want to go and invest in this technology because we can. And so I've always you know I've said. Show me that if we can go and do it and technology will help accelerate it, I'll always be you know, open to that. But the ones that we've never done this and we, there's, there's no way for us to go and, and do it or we got too many other things, but let's go and buy the technology to be able to go and help us. And that's always what got me running through the hills uh, when, when I see that. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing for me is when, uh, like when I'll get calls where people are like, hey, we've got all kinds of problems with our sales team. So we, we need CRM to help us fix those problems. 
that's where I put my hands up and say, hey, let, you know, we got to set expectations here. Te technology is not going to fix crap process. You've, it's people and process. You got to deal with that first. Technology is a tool. You know, it's not a Band-Aid. It's not a panacea. It's not going to solve all your problems. Absolutely. One, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, we're coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. If people want to reach out, connect with you, they want to find out more about Trulyu, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, send me an email. Uh, it's uh, matt.shots, M-A-T-T dot S-C-H-A-T-Z at trulyu.com, T-R-U-L-I-O-O.com. Um, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, be, uh, be wonderful to hear from people and make sure I'll get right back to you. That's awesome. Matt, thanks again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. Great. Thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.